Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And so as we continue our series uh, this week looking at the five assurances, last week Mike taught for us the assurance of salvation, and appropriately so, he focused on three tests that would be indicative of whether or not we really are children of God, whether we really do um, have a relationship with Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, he talked about the belief test. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I have... Do I have this understanding that's a gift that was given to me by God that Jesus really is who the scriptures say that he is, that he's the son of God who, though we are all deserving of death, died that death, and then he rose again from the grave, and that I've placed my trust in him. And the second test is the obedience test. Do I, do I really live a life that's biblically based? Do I really love the word of God and do I make it my aim and do I strive to be obedient to what the word of God says? And the third test is the love test. Do I love God and do I love people? Am I really willing to do um, whatever is necessary in order to follow the great commandment that Jesus gave us to love the Lord your God with everything, your whole being, and to love your neighbor as yourself? And as true believers of Christ, we have, beyond a shadow of a doubt, assurance in our salvation. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand and we can't walk out of his hand. If there is something that, be, that could be done to us or that we could do to lose our right standing before God as children, that would mean that our sin is greater than the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that's heretical to suggest that. It's not true. And so we continue today in that spirit and that attitude to talk about um, this concept of the assurance that we have in answered prayer. In order to do that, um, thank you, Sam, for, for leading us through the Lord's Supper and, re and reading Psalm 66 for us. And Mike, thank you for reading out of Exodus 19. So if, you're still, if you still have your Bibles open to that chapter, stay there. And if not, go to Exodus 19. And what I want to do today is just look at two verses in this passage and then use that as a springboard into focus on this concept of answered prayer. And I think it's necessary for us as we consider this, this idea of God's answer to our prayer, it's necessary that we focus on what we're going to look at, three hindrances to answered prayer, three things or three areas that we'll consider that would be reasons as to why our prayers might be hindered. Okay, are you, are you, are you following me, tracking with me? Okay, two of you are, thank you. So to do that, um, look, at, look, if you will, with me at verses 12 and 13 in Exodus 19. I want to look at three, three, three things that we can extrapolate from this passage and, again, use that as a springboard to consider the three hindrances to prayer. Um, if, you don't, if you don't know the story of leading up to Exodus chapter 19, um, it's a good story. It's a great story. The story is as of Moses and how he was sent by God. He was commissioned by God when he saw, when he was confronted by him, when he confronted the burning bush and God told him to go to Egypt and tell, to tell Pharaoh to release his people. And then we know that there was 10 plagues. And then after the 10th plague, um, when the angel, when the, when God sent 
the angel that passed over the land and, and all of the firstborn in every home were killed that did not have the covering of the blood of the lamb. In a hurry, that next morning, the, Is- the Israelites escaped. They left. And they come to the Red Sea. God miraculously parted them. They walked through. And then the, the waves came crashing down on the, the armies of Pharaoh, the Egyptian armies. And then we get to this place where, the, where, where after they had been miraculously fed by manna that appeared on the ground and by quail that came out of nowhere, we get to this point in the story where they approach Mount Sinai. And God met with Moses. And if you read Numbers, you'll see that Moses had become accustomed to this. He would go into a tent of meeting and, and a cloud would come over this little tent and, and God would give him instructions to give to the people and his face would glow. But Moses was told by God, I want you to do this and we'll talk about it because something's gonna happen here in a few days. That's what Exodus 19 is about. Look at verses 12 and 13. These are some of the instructions that he gave to him. He said, you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. And my footnotes say with an arrow. They didn't have guns back then. So shot with an arrow. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Verses 12 and 13, these are, these are uh, those verses that, you know, when, when they're read, you, you're like, man, I really wish that I wouldn't have brought this non-believer to church with me today. This is, this is really uncomfortable. It's a little awkward to talk about. You know, let, let's go back to five and six where God says, if you, if you love me, then you'll be my chosen people and my holy possession and a chosen nation, a, a kingdom of, king, of kings and priests. It'll be great. And this is one of those passages where you're like, well, yeah, yeah, we'll, t- we'll talk about that later. Like, come on, Drew, why'd you read that? And it, but, it, but it merits a really good question. Why is it that only Moses could go up to the mountain? Why only Moses? Uh, this last week, I was talking to Esteban, uh, Stevie Melendez, and, and, he, and he's like, Drew, I saw this, this cool question that was posed online, and it, and it kind of provoked really good conversation between Stevie and I. But the question is this. Before the fall, so before Adam and Eve sinned, was man, were, were Adam and Eve just as holy as God? Before sin, were Adam and Eve just as holy as God? And it's an interesting question. I mean, it, some, of the, some of the responses that it might merit is, let's just say, like, well, I guess, you know, they were without sin, so they were perfect before that, so maybe. But what, the way to really answer this question requires that we really focus on this word holy. What the word holy really means, it means literally other. We see it throughout the whole Bible in different forms, to consecrate or to set apart. It means that it is completely and and totally other. It's different. And so to say that God is holy is to say that he is completely other, that he is set apart from anything that we could ever attain to. Yes, perfection is an aspect of God's holiness, but so is God's omnipresent. We couldn't say about Adam and Eve that they were everywhere at all times at any point in history that they were outside of beginning and end. God is the beginning and end. He's responsible for the beginning and the end, and he himself is eternally existing. He always has, he always will. Part of God's holiness is his omniscience. He knows everything. Adam and Eve didn't know everything. Part of God's holiness is that he's omnipotent, that he's powerful, that he is above and powerfully over everything. That's not true about about Adam and Eve. So no, 
we have never, mankind, I'm speaking of mankind, has never nor will we ever be able to attain and, and be in the same category of holiness that our Lord God is in. Amen? And that's the reason why only Moses could go up there, because God is holy and the people were not. God is holy and the people were sinners. So the second, the, a second reason as to why only Moses could go up there Number two is that Moses had been set apart by God for a specific purpose. If you go back to Exodus chapter three, when Moses goes to this burning bush, God tells, I don't know if y'all, if y'all noticed this, but during communion right now, Becky played the melody for we're standing on holy ground. We are standing on holy ground. Well, when Moses first approached the burning bush, the first thing that he was told is to take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. And of course he did that. And then God said to him, I want, he commissioned him, he gave him a duty, he said, I want you to go to Egypt and, to, and say to Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, hearing this charge, said, man, I'm not able to do that. I'm inadequate. I'm short of, I, I'm short of speech. How can I possibly do what you're telling me to do? Go to, to the king of the world, basically, at this time and tell him to release my people, uh, millions of Jews out of captivity? I can't do that. I have a stutter. How am I supposed to be able to do that, God? And God's like, don't worry. I've given you help in the form of your brother Moses or Aaron, but I've also, I'm going to give you the words to say. I got it. Don't worry, Moses. He's like, well, who, who am I going to say has sent, sent me? I am who I am. I mean, there's like four of you that woke up and looked up here. <laughs> Stay awake, please. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding, but I didn't actually see anyone wake up. But if you did, stay awake, please. In, in, in Hebrew, haya, haya. Mike taught me this a few years ago. It means when, when God said this of himself, I am who I am, he is calling himself the self-existing one. There's no one in here, and there's, there's never been anyone who's ever existed that can say that they exist because of themselves. I don't even, like, get that. I can't even wrap my mind around that concept. But God was telling Moses, look, I am who I say I am. So if I tell you to go and do something, and I tell you that I'll give you the words that you need, and I, and I, and I tell you that I'll give you the power that you need, and that it's all going to work out because I'm sending you, you can trust that it's going to happen because I am who I say I am, and I'll do what I say I'll do. So just go. Moses goes, and he does it. But at that moment, he was set apart for a specific purpose. For those of us in here who are children of God, we'll talk about that here more in a second, he has chosen us. He has called us out of darkness into marvelous light, and he has set you apart. God does not set you apart just simply so that you can be set apart. He sets you apart so that you can fulfill a specific purpose. Here's the third answer to the question of why was it that only Moses could go up to Mount Sinai? And, and the answer is the specific purpose that he was called up there. It was to receive the Ten Commandments. When, when a close reading of the Ten Commandments, the first four and the last six, the first four deal with loving God, and the last six deal with loving your neighbor as yourself. So when the, the Pharisee questioned Jesus, and it was a true question, he wasn't trying to make Jesus stumble, he was, he was genuinely asking of Jesus, well, Jesus, what is, there's all these commandments, but what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with everything, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
He boils it down to loving God and loving people. That was, the, that was one of the specific purposes and really the purpose of why Moses was only allowed to go up to Mount Sinai so that he could receive the Ten Commandments, instructions on how we could fulfill this incredible task of loving God and loving people. Not only has God given us his word, not only has God given us um, the opportunity to be together in fellowship, not only has God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't and die the death that we deserved and then raise out of a grave that we would have been stuck in forever, he wrote, he overcome it. This is amazing. He has made, he has made it available to us to be in his presence. And only Moses could do that because of God's holiness. And imagine, if you will, with me, this scene in Exodus 19 when, when, when God told Moses to go down to the people and to set a limit. So he sets, he sets a limit around the base of the mountain, and he says, no one can cross it. No one can cross it, or else they have to be put to death because we're, this is how seriously we're taking the holiness of God. And then the day comes, three days later. You can read chapter 20 at the end of it. Peals of lightning and thunder, a thick cloud of smoke comes over it, and, as if a, a kiln of smoke was just, it was thick and it was covering it. And then people see Moses going up there. For me, if it was me, I would have had one of those little backpack leashes attached to my son, Mateo, just in case, like, so he couldn't get close to the line. And I've had my dog on the other line, and I'm mean, like, we're not getting close to that. And it even says that when the, when, the, when the thick cloud came over the mountain, that, that the people stood far off and they trembled because they were seeing Moses be in the presence of God. God was present with Moses in front of all the people. And they knew in that moment, man, we're standing, we're standing on holy ground because the Lord God is up there. It's amazing. So if you will, consider with me today the hindrances to answered prayer. The way was made for Moses to go up there to get the law, and it's true that there's been a way that's been made for us to be in the presence of God. This is how I want to finish our time, so I want to say this first, and then we'll come back to this. But because of Jesus, he has given us, it's been granted to us, it's, it's something that we don't deserve, but it's, it's been graciously awarded to us as children that we can actually, at any point in time, whenever we want to, we can be in the presence of God. We, can, we have access to his presence. And here are some hindrances. The first one, we've already talked about it, is sin. Sin hinders our prayers before God. The first thing, if you'll turn with me, is to John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1, verse 12. And in the spirit of what, of what Mike talked about last week, these these lessons on assurance really do go hand in hand with each other. As we consider them, they're all linked. They're all foundational to what it means to really be a child. Before I read this verse, um, raise your hand. Hopefully, I'm sure all of you have heard this, but raise your hand if you've heard this before. We're all God's children. Who's heard that before? Yeah, sure. I won't ask who believes that because you might be embarrassed after we talk about this in a second. But look at verse 12. This is... This is this is, this is the gospel of John. So if you, if you have a problem with this, tough. This is what the word of God says. But to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name. Look, look at this. This is God's word. He gave the right to become children of God. The way that Romans 8 says it is that we, having the spirit of adoption, can now cry out, 
Abba, Father. It's, this is something that is given to us that we don't deserve. To call yourself a child of God means that you are following Jesus Christ, that you have believed in his name, and so you have received him into your life. He's given you the gift of faith to respond by saying, yes, I believe, and I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart. Only followers of Christ are children of God. Yes, everyone in the world is a creation of God. This is true. And this is, this is amazing. I, I first was introduced to this by Annabelle. Um, I almost called her Melinda's. It's An- Annabelle Renteria. She got married a few weeks ago. But she first said this to me a couple, few years ago, and it, it, it's always been something that stuck with me. But if every single person that's ever existed is made in the, in the, in the image of God, and if every single person that's ever existed is unique, that means that every single person that we come into contact with has the potential to teach us a different aspect of the character or nature of God. Which means that on a baseline, every single person in the world, we need to treat with dignity and respect as, as image bearers of God, whatever that looks like. But let's not get this confused. Only people who follow Christ can have, have the right to call God Father. And so there's a lot of prayers that have been lifted up by people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is not popular to say, but it's the truth. God cannot hear those prayers. He doesn't honor those prayers. This this is why intercessory prayer, the word intercession means to bridge the gap or to stand in the gap. This is what Jesus does for us day and night, night and day, and he will until he comes back for us. When, When we, as children of God, now, I've had conversations like this dozens of times over the years, especially in evangelism, where someone will say something like, you know what, I've, I've, I've prayed to God before, and I just feel like he doesn't hear me, or he, doesn't, he didn't really care, he wasn't listening to my prayer. And I don't go like, well, yeah, you're not a child of God. That would be, that would be rude. But what I do say is, hey, what are some of your prayer requests? Let me pray for you. Do you mind if I pray for you right now? Because this is an amazing, this is an amazing um, right, I guess you could say, that we have. It's, it's an amazing thing that we can do as children of God. When people share their requests with us, wh- whether they be family, friends, acquaintances that don't know Jesus, and we take those requests and those people's needs and those people to prayer, we are literally taking those people to the throne room, into God's presence, and their requests and their prayers. And guess what? God listens to those as children of God. So we need to be people who pray. God's going to listen to those prayers. Um, Isaiah 59.2 says that because of your iniquities, there's a separation between you and God. Your sin has, has caused a separation to where he cannot hear you. So it's not just unbelievers who haven't had their sin taken care of before God. There's believers. I've been in this category. Who knows how many hundreds of times in my spiritual life as, as a Christian? Where I'm just, I'm walking in sin or there's something that I haven't really addressed before the Lord. Sam said it earlier, man, that maybe some of you didn't take communion today because you're like, you know what, there's something that I need to resolve before God. I've done that a few times in my life as a Christian. God doesn't, there's, there's a break in our fellowship with the Lord when we're walking in unrepentant sin. That's, that hinders our prayer. Are you hearing this, brother and sisters? Your prayers, are, my prayers are hindered when I'm not taking the things that I'm struggling with or when I cherish sin in my heart and I don't take care of it before the Lord. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished, that word cherished also means guarded or protected or, or coveted or held onto. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayer. 
Sam read that for us earlier in Psalm 66 before worship, as we started worship this morning. But here's the beauty of being children of God. And I'm kind of jumping the gun, so I'm still in thunder, whoever's doing assurance of forgiveness next week. But 1 Corinthians 1.9 is the memory verse for that passage. It says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and purify you or cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Even, even right now, when Sam, said, when Sam said, ask the Lord to bring something to your mind, the Lord brought something to my mind, and I just went, Lord, I'm sorry. Didn't take, didn't you need to be there for an hour and hash out every little deal? God knows everything. So just be real before him and ask for his forgiveness. And as a child of God, he gives it to you. Psalm 86, 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Like, yeah, Drew, you don't know what I've done, though. You don't know what I've done. You don't, it's not that simple. I can't just, I can't just say, sorry, God, and then this thing be taken care of and handled. There's a difference between God forgiving you and you not having consequences, but, but here's the thing. Yes. When you, when you ask for forgiveness as a child of God, he he forgives you, and it's handled. All you need to do is, you, you, need, you need not look further than the cross. Psalm 51, David, an adulterous, lying, murderous jerk, after he had had an affair with Bathsheba, tried to cover it up by having her husband killed, and then tried to make it look like, oh yeah, this, this child is legitimate. He was confronted months later about this sin, about this egregious sin, and he wrote Psalm 51 in response to that. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy, blot out all my transgressions. There's consequences in David's life, but he was forgiven right then and there. And so can we. Quit letting your prayers be hindered. The second reason that we might have hindered prayers is really two ways of saying it. They're both true. Is ignorance to God's word. You could also say ignoring God's word. Really, it means the same thing, but in our vernacular, they have two different meanings. So ignorance to God's word, you don't know what God's word says, or ignoring God's word, maybe you know what it says, and you're just choosing not to pay attention to it. I would put that under sin for sure, but, but ignorance to God's word can lead to our prayers being hindered. John 15, 7, this is what Jesus says, when the whole, you are the, uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. In verse 7, this is what he says. If you abide in me, everyone say abide. Thank you. Okay, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and you will have it and it will be given to you. So this is a, a popular teaching and maybe some of you are even thinking this right now. Probably not, right? We're, we all have a good head on our shoulders and understand the whole concept of prayer perfectly. But, but there's, this has been taught a lot in pulpits. I don't think from this pulpit, but it's been taught a lot in, in places, and it, maybe even today it's being taught. Like, okay, like I'm a child of God. My sin's taken care of, and um, ask whatever I wish, and it'll be done for me. Cool. Well, Lord, um, I just pray that I would get this. Oh, in Jesus' name. Amen. After all, the memory verse for lesson two on the assurance of answer prayer, it's, until now you not ask for anything in my name. Ask you and receive, and your joy will be made full, or your joy will be complete. Right? So now those of us who are Christians and we are adopted sons and daughters of God and we can now pray things in Jesus' name, I should have it if I ask for it. And this is a, a teaching that has enough truth in it to really manipulate the masses. 
to where they say, okay, if, if, I'm, if I'm being good and doing what I'm supposed to do, then I'll have all the things that I'm asking for, and I'll have only good things, and, and my experience will just be positive all the time. And, and if it's not, it's because there's some kind of evil that I'm partaking in, or I've, I've displeased God, and he's punishing me. And so that results in either people coming to an understanding about a God who isn't actually even real, and they think he's not good, or he's not in control, or he's really not that kind, or it just makes them all together just say, I hate myself because I'm unable to do anything good for myself, and that's why I don't have anything good. And we fail to take into consideration that God's perspective is an eternal perspective. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, at the end of Joseph's uh, situation when he's sold into slavery by his brothers and then he makes his way up in the ranks of, in, in the ranks of you know, overseeing all the affairs in, in, in Egypt, at the very end of this, when his brothers are like, oh my goodness, our brother Joseph is alive and he's just gonna wipe us out because we betrayed him and this is the end. Joseph said something very profound that we should cling on to and that we should never forget and that we should just function with. This is something that we, maybe we don't understand it all the time. That's not the point. It's that this is true. Joseph says, hey, what men intended for evil, God intended it. Think about that. God intended it for good so that many more might be saved. Maybe, just maybe, your difficult circumstance isn't about you. I'm sorry if that's meeting you in a really harsh, and if it's coming off in a cold, unloving way, but I just want to say that in, on the, based off of the authority of God's word and the love of God, Romans 8 is true that he does work everything together for the good of those that love him. So I challenge you to get on your faces and say, I love you, God. I don't understand it, but I love you. And I trust that you're gonna work this out for good so that many more might be saved. It seems awful, but I'm trusting that you're gonna work this out so that many more might be saved. Use me however you want to, God. Use me. And God's, God's word is clear about a lot of things that we know are his will. I've been, I've been praying for things for, for years and years, and sometimes I don't really even know if the nature of my prayers are things that I think that God's listening to, but this is what I can tell you, is that the more and more that I familiarize myself with God's word, the more and more confidence that I have when I take things in prayer to him. For instance, I know that it's God's heart for people to be saved. Second Peter 3, verse 9, says that, that God is not slow in fulfilling his promises, so we think like, man, why is the second coming taking so long? Every, every second that ticks by, it's, it's another second of grace for people to come to know Jesus. He says, God does not, God does not wish that anyone would, would perish, but would, that all would come to repentance. God's heart never delights in, in, in people suffering. And God's heart never delights in people perishing. He has a heart that wants to see everyone come to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9. We know that's not gonna happen but hey, when we pray for people that don't know Jesus, be they family members, coworkers, acquaintances, and then we get in the gutters and do ministry the way that he's called us to, and we ask God, God, please save this person. Is that a prayer that God is listening to? Yes. Yes. If, you're, if your circumstances are difficult and you come to First Thessalonians 5, you see where Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica to, to be joyful always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If your circumstances are hard and you go, Lord, I just, give me joy, is God gonna listen to that prayer? Yes. Lord, help me to be, 
help me to give thanksgiving no matter how difficult it is. Yes, he's going to listen to that, and he'll help you with that. We need to familiarize ourselves with his word. 1 John chapter 5. This might be the most important verse in the whole Bible um, on this concept of, of the assurance that we have in answered prayer. Verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the requests that we have asked of him. So brothers and sisters, become more and more intimately familiar with the word of God and then your prayers will be empowered. So that when you say things, you're not just aimlessly throwing things out there, but you are literally saying things that based off of God's word, you know that you can take to the bank. He's gonna hear those. You know, God's answer could be yes, no, or not now, or wait. Or, or, you know, if, if my son came to me and he asked me for something that I knew wouldn't be good for him in this season of life, I would tell him no. And I'm a sinner. So how much more do you think our, our Heavenly Father knows how to give us what we need? Go with, go, if, go with me, if you will, as we finish our time to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. I've heard Mike teach this several times over the years, and uh, recently there's a handful of us that have been studying Greek with Pastor Mike, and so it, for, the, for the first time, this has really become, I guess, alive to me. I've, I've heard Mike say it a lot over the years, but now that I've, I've started looking closely more at the, the original language, this is pretty profound, but look at verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In the original language, this is written in the active and ongoing tense, in the in ongoing form, meaning the better way of reading this and understanding this is keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. The third and final hindrance to prayer is a lack of persistence. Analyze your own lives. What are the things that, that, that God has put in your life or the situations or the people, circumstances that God has placed in your life that there was a season where you were praying for it and then you just kind of grew weary in that labor of prayer? Get back on board. Yes, there are certain situations that you know, because of the seasons, they come to an end. If you're praying for, if you have a family member or a loved one who has passed away, of course, there's a time to stop praying for them to be healed. Or if, if you're praying for a job or a certain situation and then that situation comes to an end or you have to find another job, there's, obviously there's certain things that because of the nature of the season, yeah, you should, it's, not, it's no longer necessary to pray for those things. But as long as I still have breath in my lungs, or the people that you're thinking of to pray for have breath in their lungs, or the situations are still happening, that, and there's still a glimmer of hope how, that things can work out, God's arm is not too short that it cannot save. Hebrews 1 says that by the word of his power, by the power of his word, Jesus' words, the entire universe is upheld. So I'm pretty sure that he can handle whatever thing is making you anxious. Get back into that labor of prayer. Get on your knees, pray for that thing. Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. If the answer is yes, no, or wait, 
God knows better. Look, keep reading. I just talked about this, but look, verse 9. Which, which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if his son asked for fish, will give him a serpent? I couldn't even imagine doing that. If my son came up to me and said, hey, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? And I was just like, boom, and I threw a rock at his face. Like, I would never do that to my son. Or if he's like, Dad, can I have some fish? And I was just like, and I like set a viper on him. I would never do that to my son. And I'm a sinner, So how much more does our Father in heaven, when he hears us and we ask and we seek and we knock, how much more does he know how to give us good things when when we're in that labor of prayer and when we're persistent in going to him? I want my son to have everything as long as it's good for him. And God knows best. And maybe, just maybe, you don't know best. Let's trust in him. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, we see that we're not to be anxious about anything, but in all things by prayer and supplication to make our requests known to God. That, 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 that phrase right there, make your requests known, in Greek, it's written in a, what we call a middle voice, meaning that it's both, that it's both, that it's neither and, and both passive and active. This is all that means, is that any time an anxious thought or any situation, any time it comes into mind, right then and there, make it known to God. Whatever it is, man, if we could get into that habit as God's people, anything, any, if any time anything came into our mind, we just, we just let it be known to God. I mean, God already knows about it, but we, but we do that labor of just giving it to the Lord. Here's the promise. Here is the promise of the authority of God's word. That when we, that when we make our, our requests known to God with, with prayer and thanksgiving, he will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with a peace that surpasses all understanding. We sang that earlier about we have a father, the, the, the father heart of God, love so undeniable, I can hardly speak, peace so unexplainable, I can hardly think. It might not even make sense, but man, Lord, I have peace right now. Well, he promises you that. As we finish, consider this with me. Imagine, this isn't what happened, but imagine if this is what happened. If Moses, when he went up there onto Mount Sinai, God said, hey, Moses, so I know I told you to set that boundary and everything, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back down there, and I want you to tell all the people that they can come up here now. Moses is like, wait, but, but you said, like, no one can see you and live. God's like, it's taken care of. I took care of that. Are you sure? Yes, I'm God. I am who I am. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. And then Moses goes down, and he's like, hey. And the people are standing far off, holding their children on leashes, and they're like, trembling. And Moses is like, no, 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 seriously, it's okay. God said we could go, we could go up there. And they're like, I, but, but look, we're, we're unholy and he is holy and we're wicked and sinners and, and God is altogether different and perfect and set apart from us. And Moses is like, seriously, as he wipes out the line, seriously, guys, like it's handled. Just come on up. And so then they all run up the mountain and they stand in the presence of God and just glory together. This is the access that we have been granted in Christ. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Drew, you don't know what I'm going through right now. I'm mad at God. I'm struggling. I I, I really can't take care of this sin. You know what? I probably don't understand it in all of 
its fullness, but we do not have a, a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted, who has been tried, who's been tested, who's been brought through every ringer we could ever imagine, yet he never sinned. So therefore, with that in mind, that we serve this glorious King Jesus who has done what we never could have done, let us approach with confidence God's throne of grace, that we may receive mercy to help us in our time of need. We can go into the presence of God anytime as his children. And he doesn't despise us. In the middle of the most broken part of David's life, he says, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh Lord, you will not despise. That's what he wants. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, O oh you sinners, in his presence. This is James 4, verse 8. And let's get back into this labor and imagine this with me. If we, his people, would start praying in this kind of way, oh, the revival that we would see in his church. That would spread to El Paso and to your spheres of influence. That would spread to Texas and to the nations and to the ends of the earth as we continue to seek God and make him known. Amen. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you that we have access. It's been granted to us on behalf of Christ. So let us not deny or neglect that incredible gift that we've been given to be in your presence. Help us to be men and women of prayer that we would stand in the gap on behalf of issues, people, things, whatever. And with thanksgiving, make our requests known to you, knowing that your peace will surpass all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen.